630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, into the weekend we go, and it's going to be a fun one in sports. Of course, the Labor Day rematch is tomorrow, 5 o'clock at Commonwealth Stadium. Our coverage will start with the countdown to kickoff at 3.30. we got the Canadian Derby tomorrow. Layla Fernandez plays in the U.S. Open final. Football going on tonight. Toronto leading Hamilton 7-0 in the final minute of the first quarter. The Blue Jays trying to extend their winning streak, but not a good start. They have won eight in a row, but Baltimore has the lead in this one, 3 nothing in the bottom of the third. The tennis this afternoon, well, didn't go well for Felix Auger-Aliassime, the Canadian in the semifinal against Daniel Medvedev, and Medvedev takes it 6-4-7-5-6-2. The other men's semifinal is in progress. Zverev leading Djokovic 5-4. Djokovic, of course, going for the Grand Slam. He has won the other three majors this season. We will talk more tennis an hour from now. This is going to be great. Helen Kellesey is going to be on the show, former Canadian tennis star who uh, used to train right here in Edmonton back in the 1980s. She's going to chime in on Fernandez, some other tennis storylines, and she'll let you know what she is up to now. But, of course, a big focus is getting you ready for the Elks game. Man, oh, man, when they were 0-2, I was thinking, oh, man, where is this team going? And then they won a game in BC, and it was like, okay, step forward. And then the COVID outbreak hit, and they had the game against Toronto postponed. And how are they going to bounce back? Well, pretty good. 32 points on Monday in Calgary. Can they sweep? Can they finally sweep? The Labor Day home and home. One of the many questions going into tomorrow's game. And to talk about that, I welcome Dave Campbell, the producer of this very show, back to Inside Sports. Dave, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Rito. Nice to be here. It is great to talk to you. There is uh, a lot to talk about this weekend. Of course, the Elks game front and center. But you and I were uh, texting a little bit uh, last night, uh, Layla Fernandez. Oh, I mean, and she is gutsy. And that's the one thing I enjoy about tennis. There are so many momentum swings, so many big shots. And there were a couple of times where I thought, okay, it's it's done for Cinderella. But nope, kept fighting. And ultimately, uh, I think, wore down and out-toughed a very good veteran player. Yeah, it, it, tennis is a unique sport because it's just you out there. And I can't imagine that environment at Ash Stadium. And, you know, I think the U.S. Open is is the most, uh, it, it's rock and roll tennis. And, and it's so much fun. You know, like it, you, hear, you hear weird stuff from the crowd uh, at Flushing Meadows. Um, but, you know, it's you. It's you and the crowd. But, man, if you get on the right side of that crowd, uh, and you can tell they are, they are rooting for Layla. And uh, for her to pull out uh, from, you know, it was a bit of a bit of an auspicious start. I mean, she she did lose the tie break, and then it was a little scary, and then she found a way to fight back. And I mean, this is four seeded players that she has knocked off uh, in this tournament, including the two-time U.S. Open winner Naomi Osaka and Anjali Kerber. It's it's just incredible that she's just so, you know, it's like it doesn't bother her, that the the spotlight, it's not too big for her. And that's impressive. And, you know, it's too bad about Felix Ogialisium. I mean, Medvedev's so good. (laughs) So it's just just the way it is, right? And, and, uh, but Fernandez is going to face another, you know, another unseated player who's having 
a, a tremendous tournament as well. So this is going to be a final that is very intriguing. But, uh, yeah, I love how Layla's handling the post-match interviews. She's, uh, like, the moment's not too big for her, and that's impressive to me for a 19-year-old. All right. Dave, I, I just sorted the results here, and this is off the Sharp Sports website. And if, if people, if sports fans have not discovered this website, it's sharp without the A, S-H-R-P sports.com. And you can pick any two teams and sort all the results and matchups between the two teams going back as far or as soon as you like. So I And, and you can do it by month as well. So I put in Edmonton, Calgary, games in September since 2000. The, uh, the double E swept the Labor Day series in 2000. Uh, it seems like a long time ago. Uh, yep. they, they, uh, they split it in 2001. Yeah. Uh, Edmonton won by a point in Calgary. Calgary won by a point in Edmonton. I believe that was the William Fields defensive convert for the win. Jason Moss with the to, wide side out. Yeah, you learned Edmonton the wide side scored out. Edmonton a touchdown to yeah. go up by a point with about 40 seconds left, and they went for yeah. a two-point convert, so they'd be up by a field goal, and Calgary picked it off and ran it back. Uh, Edmonton swept it in 2002. They uh, they split in 03, each team winning at home, 38 nothing. Edmonton won the rematch at home that year, and 04 was the last time Edmonton swept and uh, that was uh, not a good Calgary team. 25-7, Edmonton won on the road, and then it was 44-12, the, uh, the rematch. The Elks wound up being kind of mediocre that season as well. But that, that is yeah. the last time the Elks swept this series. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has been, and this has been a football team that has really struggled uh, over that time period on Labor Day period. I mean, uh, but before uh, Monday's win, there was only two wins, and a 15-year time span. So, and then, of course, we know it's been 10 years since they, they've beaten Calgary, uh, you know, on Labor Day. And to sweep it is tough. Well, if you're the Elks, it's tough. For the Stampeders, they've done it quite a bit, actually, <laughs> over the last 10 years or so. But, uh, you know, I, I think I think I would characterize it like this. Is Calgary, the Stampeders, usually came out with the right level of intensity and emotion and focus at the start of, of the Labor Day Classic. And the Elks were behind. And usually it would take them a while to get to that level. And then at some point in the first half, maybe they, it would wait till the second half, they would finally catch up. But by then, the game was not very much in question in most of those games. Then the rematch is when, okay, well, okay, we lost. We didn't play well. We're at home. You know, our pride has been hurt. And we're going to come out and have a great performance. Like this, I cannot remember too many games over the past ten years where they laid an egg on on Labor Day. Maybe maybe 2019, although that game was kind of close. That game when when Trevor Harris was hurt and Logan Kilgore came in and I think threw a couple of no, he threw one pick six. And then uh, maybe 2014 when Matt Nichols started at quarterback when Riley had the thumb injury. Uh, but overall, you know the Elks are going to come out and be the better team. This is different because the Elks were the better team on Monday. They were the better emotionally prepared team. They were the more focused team. And now they're coming in trying to du duplicate it against a team that is really hurting, even though they will have Bo Levi Mitchell back at quarterback. Uh, to me, Reed, this this can set up for a sweep here, and I think it's very possible, and I do think it's very winnable. In the back of my head, though, I go, okay, now they're trending in the right direction, the Elks. This is a game where they cannot, you know, have a slip up here 
and and you know kind of spin their tires or or go in reverse because uh you know if you win tomorrow that's a sweep against calgary and you've won your three and oh against the west and that's pretty important yeah, Bo's coming back, and I'll talk about that more with with Eddie Steele, who's, who's played against Bo Levi Mitchell when, when he was in the Canadian Football League. What are some of the key changes here for the Elks? It is not going to be the same roster. Rarely is game-to-game, no. especially when you have a short turnaround. What, who are some of the key guys in and out here? Well, let's start on defense. Uh, Aaron Grimes is back after being on COVID protocol, so he'll be back at his uh, strong side halfback spot. Keyshawn Barrera also was in COVID protocol. Uh, he will be the starting middle linebacker, which is good because Malik Clements, who had a pretty decent game, uh, he has a ribbon or sorry, a pec injury, is on the six-game injured list. So Barrera's return is very, very timely. And then on offense, you're going to see. Actually, I'll, I'll start in the kick return department. Terry Williams has been placed on the one-game injured list, and I kind of went, hmm, that's interesting because he was there yesterday um, taking reps at running back because James Wilder Jr. had a maintenance day. Uh, so Williams basically, I can't say it any other way, has been demoted, and they're going to use Ernest Edwards and Walter Fletcher in the return game. And if you ask Jamie Elizondo which two players excited him the most out of training camp, it's those two players. Uh, the most athletic and probably shifty and fast offensive players on the team are Edwards and Fletcher. So it's exciting to see uh, both elements uh, tomorrow in the return game and on offense because Edwards is in the starting receiving core. Fletcher won't start, but he'll see some time tomorrow. Uh, as James Wilder Jr. will play and see some time, but uh, he's kind of kind of hurting a bit, and he's he took a pounding on uh, on Monday from the Stampeders, and we know he had that those breathing and, and asthma issues uh, near the end of the game on uh, on Monday. So uh, so that's uh, those are the changes I'm seeing uh, uh, that really I think are going to make a, a big effect. And uh, another one is Tanner Green, the fullback will not play, so they're down to one fullback, and that's James Tuck. Now, they do have Thomas Jack Cordilla as the 6-0 lineman, but, you know, if you want to go a dub, double tight end set, you're not really going to have – you're not going to be afforded that opportunity. So, Shy Ross is going to come back into the lineup uh, and be in the starting lineup, and that might push Jalen Tolliver out from some series, but he will play. You will see some interesting uh, substitutions tomorrow, and Tavon Smith is going to play. So, they're going to find a way to use seven, eight offensive players – in the package tomorrow in certain packages, not on all at once, but you know, certain packages will call for certain players. And that to me is key read because in a short week, if you can get some fresh bodies in the lineup uh, that have more gas in the tank and aren't feeling the uh, effects of playing on Monday, I think that could be a real key for the Elks. Dave, before I let you go, and maybe it's, it's too short a sample size, but I'll throw the question at you anyway. Did you notice anything significantly different about the special teams given the coaching change from when they played BC? Um, return game, no. <laughs> right. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I find the change interesting because is this a reflection of Terry Williams? You know, are we going to see something in Ernest Edwards and Walter Fletcher that we didn't see in Terry Williams, especially from maybe a speed and how he can kind of cut and hit the holes and things like that? Um, the coverage was a bit better, but honestly, it's kind of hard to see, uh, after just one game, I can tell you, I can tell you this, Terry Eisler, I've known him for, oh boy, it's almost 15 years now. I mean, he first arrived on the scene in the CFL with, uh, with the double E in 2007, and this is his third stint. 
he is coaching like mad. I, I love watching him because Ice is just someone that'll, he loves teaching. He loves the game. Uh, he is very, very good at getting beside a player and uh, just, you know, saying this is what he needs. And I, I'll tell you, Reed, I know teams work on special teams, but I'll tell you what, it, it almost took up maybe one third of the whole practice this week, uh, maybe a bit more. And Coach Ice was definitely one of those uh, was in the mix there, uh, coaching coaching up special teams. So they are really trying to emphasize it. And I don't think Jamie Elizondo is overly happy with it, especially with in the return game. And that's why we see the change that Terry Williams is out. And we're going to see Ernest Edwards uh, especially and see what Walter Fletcher can do. Yeah, well, the only really field-shifting return was the one they had late in the win over BC that set up that drive that, yeah. that ran out well, the clock. Well, it's tough. So I mean, need a little bit more, but more than that. Net yards are giving up 10 yards a punt against. that. That's not good. That's not good. That's getting chunks of yardage. And I think, you know, tomorrow will be interesting. What will the impact be of Bo Levi Mitchell in the offense? I think there will be some impact, but, man, they those receivers dropped a lot of balls on Monday. And the only difference I can see is Bolivar Mitchell will say something than Jake Mayer. But uh, the flip side is the Elks defense. I don't think that was their best game out of the four. And I think they got fortunate in, in some instances with the drops. So we'll see what adjustments are made from No Thorpe's group tomorrow. All right, Dave, I will likely wave to you from my seat tomorrow. I hope it's a good I day. I can't wait, Elks, buddy. Thanks for checking. It is one of my favorite moments of a home game is waving at you, buddy. <laughs> there we go. Dave uh, keeps his expectations low, and I never disappoint them. <laughs> Long bomb uh, pass for Hamilton here for a touchdown, but Toronto leads at 14-6, four and a half minutes into the second quarter. It's Inside Sports on Chet. tonight a lot going on in the sports world things are ramping up Oilers rookie camp is going to start on Wednesday couple of games for the rookies next Saturday at Rogers place against Calgary then they will be in Calgary on election night Monday the 20th now again for the Oil Kings preseason games and for the Oilers Rook home rookie game, no fans at Rogers Place as uh, they're going to train their people up on the uh, protocols as we move towards the new season. And as we know, there still could be changes between now and when the Oilers have a preseason game with fans on September 26th. But of course, we'll keep you updated on everything here on 630. Chad, Bob Stoffer had a really good interview with uh, Stu Ballantyne, who is uh, who runs Rogers Place, basically runs the building. Uh, if you missed that, you can get to get it on the Oilers Now page on 630Chad.com. Hamilton converted the touchdown. Toronto leads it. 14-7 with 9.49 left in the first quarter. Elks game is tomorrow, 5 o'clock. And don't forget our coverage here on 6.30. Chad commences with the countdown to kickoff at 3.30. The Canadian Derby, and we'll talk more about this later on in the show. We're going to have one of the top uh, trainers. He's, he's got the favorite uh, tomorrow myopic. Robertino Diodoro is going to be on the show in about an hour or so. So the Derby is tomorrow at 7.50. The day of racing starts around 2.50. The Derby scheduled to go around 7.50. And an Oilers connection to the day of racing uh, tomorrow at Century. You got Ryan Nugent Hopkins' horse Infinite Patience running out of post six in the Northlands Distaff. 
That's going to start at around 6.15, and I believe that uh, Infinite Pages is the is the favorite in that race. So uh, Nuge with a pretty good horse there. So another little racing storyline for you tomorrow. Kellen Kennedy back at the 6.30 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Kellen, how are you doing, buddy? Doing great on a Friday night. Good. You were, are you working the game tomorrow, or did you weasel no, on this one too? I am going to this one. I'm looking forward to it. So, oh, But you're not working it. I'm not working it, no. I work the ne- I'll work next week with uh, Winnipeg. Yeah, Winnipeg next the game week, so. on, on the uh, 18th. Okay. Yes, that's it. Good stuff. All right. Well, maybe maybe see you there. Looking forward to going to that one. I will uh, shoot oh, you a text. We got music already. Toronto going for it here on a fourth down from their own 40, third and one. Quarterback sneak. A lot of yardage. So that drive will continue. Eddie Steele is coming up to talk some CFL and Elks. Bo Levi Mitchell. What was Bo Levi like to play against? I want to ask Eddie that. Plus Helen Kelsey former Canadian tennis star on Layla and Canadian tennis. Oh, she'll give you the time uh, tomorrow at two tomorrow at two is the start time for the women's final at the U S open back after the news and weather. Dry Seidel getting ready to rock and roll for the Oilers. Their training camp starts Wednesday, September 22nd. First preseason game Sunday, September 26th. Of course, we'll have that one for you. All Oilers games throughout the season here on 630 Chet. Okay, a lot to keep an eye on. I mentioned Toronto and Hamilton. The Argos uh, got off to a great start in this one, even though they are decided underdogs, but they're driving again down to the Hamilton 16. Toronto with a 14-7 lead. See what happens here on second and 10. Arbuckle to the end zone, deflected and intercepted by Hamilton. So the Tiger Cats will get out of this one without allowing any points, even though Toronto was right into the red zone. The Blue Jays with that eight-game winning streak on the line, and uh, they're still trailing Baltimore 3-0 in the fourth. The O's got three in the bottom of the first inning, and that is all the scoring so far. Also... Tennis, the uh, young Canadian Felix uh, Auger-Aliassime is out in straight sets to Medvedev this afternoon. Zverev and Djokovic in the other men's semi right now. Zverev took the first set 6-4. Djokovic up 3-1 in the second set. Triple header in the CFL tomorrow. The middle game is 5 o'clock at Commonwealth Stadium. 3.30, the coverage starts here on 6.30. Chet with the countdown to kickoff. It includes Dave Campbell, Morley Scott, Blake Dermott, and this gentleman, Eddie Steele, who we welcome back to the show. Eddie, how are you doing, man? I am doing great. I Thanks for sitting through uh, my uh, little update there. Some other things going on in the world of sports. Uh, let, let, let's start there for a little bit of fun. If you are not watching football and i'll say football in general because i assume you watch nfl and and maybe even some college or junior when you have time uh what is your sport of choice to engage with as a spectator do you have one yeah you know i i really love basketball basketball actually was my my first passion growing up i just kind of outgrew it width wise not height wise and uh, that's that's what uh, when football presented itself to me and the fact that you're able to get on the field and uh, it, you're allowed to be violent and not get arrested or get in trouble. Well, I was good. First of all, I love that line. Uh, but I was going to ask you that as well. Any sport you excel that besides football. So there we go. It was basketball. But the, the coaches were like, Eddie, you are now too wide. 
to play. I was a rebounding machine, Reed. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. In high school, I'll give you a good 10 points, 15 rebounds per game. My stat line was pretty good. Sort of like Charles Barkley, though he would get the points and, and the rebounds. But uh, <laughs> yeah. still, 15 rebounds a game is pretty good. You were hard to yeah. knock out of there. Oh, that's just it. And, you know, I, I had this specialty, too. I was great at drawing charges. And I, I would kind of sell it. I, I would flop. And uh, because I was so big, the refs always believed, like, they really came into me with a lot of contact. So I always got the call. <laughs> if they're knocking down the <laughs> wide guy, it must be a charge. There's no way he exactly. was committing a block. That's pretty good. I'm sure you won a lot of respect with the opponents as well. They must have loved that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Kind of like uh, Labor Day a couple of years ago when I was playing with Saskatchewan, faking the old hamstring injury. Did you, have you told that story? Yeah, we were talking about it recently, uh, uh, the last pregame told... show. Oh, the pregame show, yeah, because you told the story on this show about your bicep exploding and balling up or whatever it was. <laughs> Actually, no, I, yeah, I was talking with uh, Daryl McIntyre, sorry, last Friday. That's when we were talking about it, yeah. So uh, the whole Saskatchewan thing is Coach Jones at that time, he had a, a, a special signal in, in Winnipeg. It was the Labor Day game we were playing in Saskatchewan. And Winnipeg had a lot of momentum, and they were on a big drive, and they were going hurry-up offense. So Coach Jones gave the little signal, and I came up with a, a little wink-wink, pulled hamstring, laid on the turf while the trainers came out, and that put an end to all that momentum Winnipeg had, slowed down their drive. Harris, I, I know Andrew Harris, so we go way back. We've been playing football with each other since grade eight. And uh, he came up to me, and he, he knew I wasn't hurt, and he was chirping me as I was laying down. <laughs> and I just gave him a little wink as I was laying down. It was pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure that uh, Chris Jones is not the first coach to think of a signal, and I'm sure you're not the first player to uh, follow his coach's direction and maybe <laughs> embellish a little bit. But you, you reference a good point. The... The, the the change in football over the last I'll say decade of so uh, that it's it's almost no huddle all the time right uh, for for offenses yeah. no that do, that doesn't mean that they're hurrying because sometimes they still run the play clock down to three two one seconds but I mean that's another way for the offense to initiate and I suppose limit what the defense can do in between plays yeah for sure and you know I, I don't know. Uh... Any, if there's any old-timers listening to me, like a, a Blake Derman or whatnot. But uh, I, the game, to me at least, is different in the sense that there's so much more going on in terms of reads and changing on the fly. Defense, I know, speaking on the defensive side, we would see one thing from the offense and we would completely change our call. Now, I don't know if that's how it was back in the day with uh, some of the older fellows who used to play before my time. But even since I got into the CFL, I've noticed such an evolution uh, from 2010 through my career that ended in 20 after 2018 of just the checks and on offense, they check to what they see, what the defense is doing, and they'll switch plays up. And oftentimes, uh, especially under Chris Jones, uh, defensively, we would have like four play calls in one. So based oh, wow. off what you saw, and then you'd have to communicate. And that's the biggest thing is getting the communication across because if you don't get the communication across the board and one guy didn't get the uh, his proper assignment, well, then you're susceptible at really getting gashed in the run or getting a deep ball over your head. So that's the biggest thing is you guys all have to be on the same page and we would have a lot of hand signals and all kinds of crazy terminology. And it, it, was, it was pretty intensive, actually. I will say... Coach Jones, he he was more 
um, into that style of coaching uh, as opposed to some other coaches that I've had. Um, and, yeah, you could say it's somewhat progressive, that's for sure. Well, of course, nowadays the quarterback gets the play call into his headset from the offensive coordinator. When Blake Dermott played, the play was actually sent in by a carrier pigeon. The coach released a little pigeon who flew onto the field and handed the play to the quarterback. That's what I've been told anyway. Uh, I would believe it. I would believe it. <laughs> Eddie Steele joining us tonight on Inside Sports talking about the Labor Day rematch. Okay, Bo's coming back. You you played against this guy. He's he's a great player. I, I mean, he's won a, great, a couple of great cups. People in Calgary will tell you they should probably have a couple more. He's won MOPs. He doesn't lose very often especially in the regular season. What's Bo like to play against? And, you, you know, you're one of the guys trying to hit him and sack him over the years. What, what's he like? Why is he so good? You know, I'm not taking anything away from Bo because he is an amazing guy. He's got all the accolades. But Bo's had a great team around him. You look what Jake Myers came, Meyer has came, come in and done, and he's put up great numbers too uh but the team isn't as good around them and that's why they're not getting the dubs Bo had a lot of personal success but again it's a testament to who's around him uh he's a he's a good competitor he's fairly arrogant and that really gets you pretty po'd when you're a defensive player playing against him he's not afraid to talk trash and things of that nature but it's not just the Bo show it is a total organization from the top down that is just well-structured and well-run, and it begins and ends with Huffnagel, in my humble opinion. If you look at even when they hire new coaches, they don't hire – sorry, my daughter's chasing me around here. If you, <laughs> they if don't you need hire, to go on dad uh, duty, we understand. Oh, no, 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 it's okay. They don't okay. Uh, hire from outside the organization. They always are promoting from within, and that just is such a testament to how – stable of an organization they are and how they promote and just continue to level coaches up. And, you know, you look at a, a guy who starts as just, a, you know, um, a positional coach and then they go to D, D coordinator um, or, you know, you look at Dickinson, he starts as an offensive coordinator, been in the system, and then he goes to head coach. And it's just amazing how they do it there. You know, I'm glad you don't mince any words when you call Bo Levi a little arrogant. I did an interview with Bo Levi, I, I, I think it was 2016, because the Elks won the Cup in, in 15, obviously, but then Riley won MOP in in 16, I believe. Uh, or was yeah. it 17? Yeah, I think it was 16. I think it was 16. Um, and, and I had Bo on, and it was it was still relatively early in the season, but he and, and Riley had already emerged as MOP candidates. So, of course, I'm setting up the question to say, you know, in your mind, who, who should it be? And, and for the media guy, you get used to players being diplomatic and, you know, well, this other guy's really good and, and uh, you know, I'm having a good year too, but I owe it all to my teammates. Like I was halfway through the question and Bo knew what I was going to ask and he's cutting me off and he's going, me, me. Yeah, and, 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 not surprising. And then he, yeah, and then he said, he said, my stats aren't as good as, as Mike's, is he with the time, now Mike O'Reilly. He said, my stats aren't as good because we're so far ahead I never have to throw in the fourth quarter. Okay, all the Bo. Time. <laughs> okay. And, you know, just for all the listeners, when I say he's slightly arrogant, I'm putting it nice. I, I could... Uh, I could be a lot, a lot more aggressive with my terminology, but uh, all right. 
you kill him just do we still do we still have Eddie there or did that connection I'm here are you oh, there? okay yeah I just got garbled for a second there that's okay oh sorry well, about that uh, no not your fault not your fault okay well that's uh, that's good to know about Bo Levi Mitchell so what do you expect if you're sitting there from an elk standpoint you, you won the game one school of thought in a situation like this is that the losing team maybe has a little bit of an advantage because they know they have to make some adjustments while the winning team is sitting there saying, well, well, you know, what should we really change? We just, we just won. But, but if you're an Elks coach or player, what are you thinking adjustment wise so you can get the sweep here? You know, honestly, I don't think there's going to be a ton of adjustments based off they came, the Elks came out and played their game and had success. So why change a good thing? There'll be little tweaks here and there. Um, I will promise you this. I don't think the stamps are going to come and drop as many balls as they dropped. I'm sure they really harped on that in practice this week. But uh, in terms of what the Elks have to do, uh, I think they just have to worry about themselves and uh, just do execute the same game plan. Um, you know, why? if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, so I don't think they're going to come out and do any drastic changes. Sure, on, on a couple of plays, they'll tweak a route here or there based off what they saw during the game. But I think uh, they've, they've proven that they can not only just play but beat the Stamps by doing what they do. So why change that? Special teams. The Elks have changed special teams coordinators already this season. You know the story, Eddie. I mean, like, I can't remember what it is. It's like one punt return touchdown in the last decade plus or something like that. I think Kendall Lawrence got that one. Kendall Lawrence. Kendall, as, as Chris Jones would call him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and I know you weren't a returner, but, you know, you'd have to block or cover, and, and you know what goes on in a football practice and how schemes work in games. With the Elks return game, is it lack of the explosive returner? Is it way the way the blocks are, are set up? I mean, what's what's the issue here that they never really tilt the field with a return? You know, I'm still waiting and figuring that out myself just as a viewer trying to watch Terry Williams because I play against him when I called him Scary Terry because he was an electric returner. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pin it on him and say he's, he doesn't have the juice anymore. Based off my, uh, my inside sources, I was making a joke last week that now I'm a, I'm a media guy. I got sources. So I was talking to my inside sources, and they told me that uh, the special teams coordinator, there was just a lot of gray. There wasn't a lot of black and white. Guys weren't totally sure. There were assignments on every play. So I, I'm sure that had an effect on the return game. Uh, it was only one week with Coach Eisler, so it's going to take a little bit of time. It's not like just because you get rid of the coordinator, bring someone new in, all of a sudden it's like magic and everybody's out there playing perfectly. So it'll it'll take a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm really keeping an eye on Terry Williams just to see, you know, if in fact he does still have the juice or if it's a schematic thing and how this coaching change really will play out because it's still so early to tell. Yeah. All right. Well, Eddie, it's always a blast to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for your insight into Bo Levi Mitchell and his personality. I'm sure many Elks fans, fans were applauding and or snickering as you, as you offered that. I'll see you at the game tomorrow, man. Enjoy it. All right, Reed. Take care. Have a great night. That is Eddie Steele, who uh, is uh, is great to have on the show. An awesome addition to our Elks broadcast team. He and Blake Dermott with the analysis, and of course uh, Morley and Dave bringing you the play by play and the color commentary. And that coverage is going to start at three thirty tomorrow afternoon. Here's the thing: 
the Elks did what they had to do on Monday. They hit more big plays than Calgary, and they made fewer mistakes. You know, maybe some of the penalties you can criticize the Elks for. They need to clean that up a little bit. They they took more of the costly penalties than Calgary did. But Calgary had, I mean, what, probably four flat-out drops and then three other ones that would have been difficult catches, but you still expect to be made more often than not. So that's something that could swing it in Calgary's uh, favor. And look, Bo is better than Jeffrey Mayer. There, there is no doubt about that, but Eddie Steele made a good point. Is the team around Bo as good, and can Bo uh, have as big an impact in games as he did in the past? Going to be a fun one to follow for sure. Still, uh, what are we at here? 14-7 Toronto leading Hamilton now in the last minute of uh, the first half. We got Helen Kelsey coming up to talk some Canadian tennis after 7. It's Inside Sports on Chet. <laughs> Listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right. Thanks for tuning in. That's a good track. All right. So, Bo Levi Mitchell back for Calgary tomorrow. Kellen, you may remember the weekend going into Mother's Day, I tweeted out in honor of my dear mother. Yes. Turns into an absolute angry maniac when it comes to sports like she's like the the sweetest kindest lady but then in the sports fan of her life she just wants to crush the opponent Mm -hmm. and hear them wail and suffer so i tweeted out her the five athletes she she dislikes the most i would even say hate i would go so far to say hate kellen kennedy Mm-hmm. And uh, as of Mother's Day, it was uh, Patrick Reed, Corey Perry, Matthew Kachuk, Austin Matthews, and Zach Hyman, who my mother did not like as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Zach Hyman is now off the list because he's joined the Oilers. I've confirmed right. that with my mother. Okay, She softened on Corey Perry because she wanted to see the Canadians do well in the playoffs. Uh, now Corey Perry's gone to Tampa Bay. We'll see. But a, a couple of people said to me, surprising that there's no Stampeders or Rough Riders on that list. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, there was no CFL season in 2020. So some of that, that hatred, my, my mother would have had for some of those players wouldn't have been on display in 2020. So tweeting this out in the spring of 2021, you know, those athletes wouldn't have been front of mind, but I would think that if I were to do the list today, uh, that likely Bo Levi Mitchell would, would take uh, Zach Hyman's spot in the top five for my mom. You know, Patrick Reed would be up there, though. She felt bad for him that he had the double pneumonia. She's like, I don't wish that on anybody. She just doesn't want him to see do well golfing. Um, but uh, I, I would think Bo Levi Mitchell would, would be there now for her. And especially if the Stamps win tomorrow. It's going to be uh, anti-Bo all the time for the next several months. Mm-hmm. Kellen's speechless. <laughs> no, I'm... As, as you often are. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, then hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, you know, Elks can uh, bring the brooms out tomorrow, but we'll see what happens. Oh, I hope so. That would be nice. Uh, yeah, it would be. coming back. I wonder if... Cal- What's that song from the 50s or 60s? My boyfriend's back and he's going to save my reputation. Are the stamps singing my Bo Levi's back and he's going to save our season? That's pretty much what they need. Because mm. if they lose another one, they ain't making the playoffs here. Uh, Jamie Elizondo is the head coach of your Elks. He talks about the impact of Bo coming back. We all know what Bo Levi is and what he can do. He's one of the most, you know, the best quarterbacks in the league. He's proven that. Has a track record of success. Has a track record of rallying teams. You know, so I think we've got to be prepared for for his best. Um, 
whether he comes off the, you know, onto the field as a, as a substitute or he actually starts, you know, we just got to be prepared to handle him. Uh, there's always the emotional uplift anytime that you're struggling, you lose a couple games when when the guy that you've gone to to battle with repeatedly comes back in. I think there's always an uplifting on the team. So. I don't think it's going to make a, a, a heck of a difference in terms of their emotional state. I know that Dickey does a great job. He'll have those guys ready to play at a high level uh, mentally, emotionally. So I think we're going to see the absolute best uh, from Calgary. We're prepared for that. We got to handle that and we got to raise our intensity level, make sure that it uh, it's higher than theirs. Looking forward to it. Should be a big crowd tomorrow at Commonwealth Stadium. Blue Jays get a run, but still trailing bottom of the fifth at Baltimore. The Orioles are up. Three, one. Helen Kelsey to talk about Layla Fernandez, Canadian tennis. Great to catch up with Helen next on Inside Sports. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms. <laughs> 